Hey everyone, welcome to Archaeopolitics, a podcast about politics in the world of Harry Potter. I'm Erin. And I'm Adri. We are two recovering English majors. And today we'll be discussing the politics of slavery. In Chapter 18, Dobby's Reward of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets by J.K. Rowling. Okay, listeners, it's the last chapter in the Chamber of Secrets. Ah! But before we deep dive in, Adriana, give us our customary summary recap, please. So real talk, I did not see that it was my turn. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like so well prepared for this. It's okay, should we, you want to just like talk it through really quick? I I guess we'll, we can do a collaborative summary. Yeah, like they show, they show up at McGonagall's, right? And everyone's just like, oh shit, there's Ginny. And they're like, let's regale the tale of how we survived the Chamber of Secrets. And Harry's like coyly trying to leave Ginny out of it, but unsuccessfully, right? Dumbledore's just like, picks up on it though. And he's just like, I wonder though, how Ginny was enchanted to do all these things. And it's like a revelation for everyone. And then we have that like really nice encounter with uh, Lucius. Well, actually before Gilderoy is like all dysfunctional and hilarious. And he's just like, oh, I was a professor. It was probably hopeless, wasn't I? And it's like, you're at your best when you have no memory, Gilderoy. And then... As do I. As do I. I have no memory, apparently. No, I'm useless. It's okay. It's okay. We're, we're, we're killing it. I'm killing it. We got this. And then they have this encounter with, with Lucius, who shows up, like, all disheveled. And, and poor Dobby's there with, like, a ragged, you know, like, a rag all dirty, like, kind of polish his shoes and... You know, Harry confronts him and he's just like, you put the diary in Janice, you know, cauldron that day at Flourish and Blots. And um, then Lucius, like, gets all angry and, like, in his, you know, wounded anger, like, kicks Dobby down the Hogwarts corridor. And Harry chases after them and he's got, like, this, like, sock, his, like, gross, slimy, filthy sock concealed in the diary. And he gives it to Lucius and Lucius, like... Flings the sock at Dobby, who catches it, thus freeing him. The and end. The end, basically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're obviously going back to the Dursleys, but it's cool because Harry gave Ron his digits and he was like, your dad knows how to use a muggle phone now, so figure it out. I feel like we could just leave this in. Yeah. That's enough. I think it's great. I think it's gold. You know what? Let's just move on to the politics of slavery because... Let's do it. I'm just going to leave this in and be like, real talk. I forgot. Real talk. It happens. It's chapter 18. Life happens. And I'm not cutting any of this (laughs) (laughs) This is how we end things. (laughs) Stay tuned for season three, The Prisoner of Azkaban. All right, so since I forgot how to do a summary and the the fact that I had to do a summary, I'm just going to talk to you guys about the politics of slavery and and what it means in this context 
So slavery or modern definitions of slavery are more than just um, taking someone and forcing them to do labor in chains or whatnot. It could be human trafficking, forced labor, indentured servitude, forced marriage, domestic servitude, child labor, etc., etc. So in the in the example that we have today for current events, um, we have this victim of human trafficking. So this victim of human trafficking or labor trafficking, as they're calling it, was speaking to um, NBC about what he endured as a child while traveling in the United States in a choir. And he was, um, and this was like a, from like a religious point of view uh he was he was handpicked to come to the United States and join a supposedly prestigious a cappella boys choir and these two, 12 people traveled across the United States and performed in malls churches and schools um and and you know te- Texas so uh when the when the pastor tried to, or the quote-unquote pastor, tried to exert control over them, they would say, you know, we're just going to deport you back to Zambia, or we're just going to, you know, turn you over to the authorities. But when uh, these boys would be faced with the authorities, the stories that they would tell the authorities didn't quite match up with the pastors. So um, this person, the survivor who is now a dentist i believe uh is saying like you know this happens every day it happens in states just like texas because there's not um enough laws or regulations to to stop human trafficking so when you think about human trafficking er trafficking aaron do you think about like sexual human trafficking right but this is not even a sexual thing this is kind of like just forced labor yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I kind of have two things I want to talk about in relation to this current event. And the first is that, you know, yeah, like the first thing that I think of when I think about the politics of slavery is sexual slavery. And mostly because I recently heard um, uh, one of the founders of a a house here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, that that's a transition house that works with women who have been trafficked to rehabilitate them as kind of like the first process, the first step in a series of um, what will be a long journey in healing. And, you know, she just talked, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, this, that the idea that slavery still happens in our modern context in different states in New Mexico is no exception. Um, and again, particularly in this example, it was it's it's talking about sexual slavery and not just um, talking. And it's just interesting because she was talking about how, particularly because of where New Mexico is located, it's not just women who are trafficked in our communities, but um, women who are trafficked through the border and into our yeah. state. And um, the fact that like there is a language barrier issue too when it comes to outreach, and we're not even just talking about. Um, like Spanish speaking individuals, but like people that that speak Mandarin or or Arabic, you know, like it's 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 um, really shocking the level of and, and in a culture where there's a clear fear of ICE agents and deportation. Yes, yes, exactly. That's, that's compounding that issue. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, but you know, in in another example, um, 
this is a pop culture reference, but it relates to this current event. It, there's a series I think I've brought up before in media we've been consuming called American Crime. And in one of the episodes they deal with, or one of the seasons, excuse me, they deal with uh, contemporary slavery and its, its various forms. And one example was a woman who was hired um, to be sort of like a tutor for a young boy. <clears throat> kind of like an affluent white household. Um, she was brought over from Haiti and um, it quickly became like incredibly abusive. And um, she had her passport kept locked away. So she was virtually trapped with nowhere to go. Um, and I think like we were, like you were talking about um, slavery today looks different than it did but it still exists and it still exists well, in a lot of we different are, we are a nation or you know like you know the united states is a nation founded by slaves basically like yeah not in the sense of every act of labor that created this nation was done by slaves mm -hmm. so when we think about our supposedly like white founding fathers they were slave owners they owned bodies and they dictated what those bodies were able to do and not do and how they were able to spend their time and their time was spent building things and working for the profits of white people and so so that's the slavery that i think comes to most people's minds and we have slavery now like do you remember that um that essay that some guy wrote about thinking about how like his nanny who had been living in his house for like 20 years and he just wrote about it and everyone who read it was like dude she was a slave wow no i'm, I'm not familiar with this it was maybe a year ago um, okay. he was writing like this essay reflecting on like his nanny and like how she was always there for him and he she lived in the house with them and she was like not documented and there's like a lot of red flags about you know like yeah um I'm that he's sure clearly not picking up on i guess like <laughs> i'm pretty sure your family basically kidnapped her and kept her and she's a slave but cool cool story bro but yeah fond memories fond memories yeah well and and too i think like the politics of consent the politics of slavery um are rooted in a power paradigm and whomever is in power is obviously uh, very interested in maintaining status quo because this politics serves them, whether it be through labor or monetization or both or, you know, and, and it is <clears throat> through the commodification and abuse of a body. So definitely we see that in, in Dobby in this chapter when you could see kind of like his his servitude, but also there's some some kind of subversion in his servitude because he keeps like pointing at Lucius and like pointing at the diary and kind of like connect the dots Harry right but but he's still bound by these these lines of servitude or or like magical bonds I guess of servitude right and it's interesting too because it does seem to be like purely rooted in some kind of like societal agreement because once Dobby is released, like he protects Harry and it's clear that his magic is powerful and that at any point he could have likely overpowered Lucius. And so 
it seems as though this is like a social contract and a really fucked up one. And it's difficult to, it's difficult to. I wonder if it's a magical social contract though. Like some kind of like shackle, like magical shackle. Well, it has to be, right? Because the mechanism by which they are freed is like having a, a physical garment given to them. But it's like, it's difficult to like reconcile this with, um, like how early are how early on we are in the series relative to like uh the age that it's written for like this is definitely like I'm actually I'm, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be in there not at all I'm just saying like you know rereading this I was just like oh my god this is like really grotesque treatment of a living creature you know and it's in front of like it's like unabashed right like he kicks him across the floor like he's just this he's like ragged and and in his like legs are heavily bandaged you know and so it's just like you can you can just infer the kind of sadistic behaviors that are taking place that we're not privy to and it's really it's really deep it's really heavy it's one of the darker elements i feel like we're getting introduced to as the series starts to mature yeah well and also I think, and, and we've talked about this, Erin, um, maybe not on the mic, but one of the things that I really love about this series is that it doesn't talk down to children. It, Absolutely. It, it allows for children to, to kind of, you know, wade into these heady and weighted topics without talking down to them. And, it, and I do think that it also, I mean... It is maybe like a little bit black and white, but it also does have like a a kind of like moral compass, you know, like it's not romanticizing. Well, this is interesting, though, and I'm going to finish my sentence, but this is I'm going to complicate what I'm about to say, actually, with my deep dive quote. And that's slavery doesn't get like romanticized, like you're saying, like it doesn't get talked down to or sugared or watered down for consumption. Mm -hmm. But but I if know. I can, if I can jump into my deep dive quote, if you'll allow me. Well, we need to pause for music. kind of break convention just a little bit and my deep dive quote I'm going to refer to series like to books that come later um this is on page 330 of the scholastic edition this is after Harry and Ron have you know told everyone how they came out of the chamber and all about Tom Riddle and what have you and um it says Mrs. Weasley led Ginny out, and Mr. Weasley followed, still looking deeply shaken. You know, Minerva, Professor Dumbledore said thoughtfully to Professor McGonagall, I think all this merits a good feast. Might I ask you to go and alert the kitchens? Right, said Professor McGonagall crisply, also moving to the door. I'll leave you to deal with Potter and Weasley, shall I? And so this moment, you know, for if you're a new reader, if you're a first-time reader, you won't understand the significance of this moment because we don't yet know how all of these magical feasts um, and sort of lovely accommodations for the various houses, students and teachers kind of get made and and maintained. But we learn in book four in the Goblet of Fire that, um, in fact, Hogwarts uh, 
uses house elves to maintain their um, their cushy surroundings. And um, this is really complicated because it does uh, kind of romanticize slavery in that we're supposed to kind of see Hogwarts as this progressive kind of egalitarian institution. Um, and certainly with Dumbledore leading the school, one would think that that something like indentured servitude would be, you know, highly frowned upon. Um, but this is the invisible force that keeps the school alive, students fed, right. everyone comfortable. And in this instance, it's just like a snap of his fingers, like, oh, something, you know, alert the kitchens, Minerva, alert, you know, a feast for everyone. And I, this is just really complicated for me because I don't know, I don't really know what to do with it. Um, yeah, it's problematic. It's so problematic, you know. And so, it's... funny story, Aaron. Mm-hmm. I almost, I almost picked that quote. Did, no, really? Oh my god, mind melt. And then meld. I was like, no, no, no. Let's let's do the more obvious one, because then I'd have to like contextualize it with like external reference to a future book, right? And it's, I think, I think later on. We do address that um, kind of problematic nature of Hogwarts and how it runs. And we, you know, we like Hermione gets obsessed with the idea of freeing the elves or having like some some kind of system for the elves that is fair for everyone involved. And yeah, like Dumbledore, problematic fave. Yeah, and I'll just I'll just go so far as to say that, you know, again, because we are as students, but also as readers, not questioning how these fabulous things are able to be. I want us to also think about that as sort of like this analogy for capitalist society, wherein we are all, if especially like if you're in the middle class or upper middle class you know, we are all able to enjoy and access creature comforts because there is a working class that is practically indentured because of, you know, minimum wage caps and hour caps and, you know, access to um, equitable financial institutions and healthcare. And so like, um, something like uh, having like even like a 24-7 fast food restaurant right that's like super convenient but at the same time um it requires someone else to be running it and those are really late hours and you know granted some it it's just it's interesting to think about it it makes me think about um Bartleby the Scrivener and um this idea that capitalism is in and of itself kind of a if not a literal then a philosophical form of slavery well and um, the fact that we don't get to see until book four how Hogwarts runs and how the feasts get made and how all this like lovely food gets made and you know appears is uh, you know is speaking to the invisibility of that kind of labor because we get to a point in a capitalist society where we don't really acknowledge where things come from like if you're shopping at like H and M. 
or if you're shopping at any fast fast fashion store, those clothes are not made by workers that are paid well. They're made mm-hmm. in sweatshops. Absolutely. And those are slaves. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so <clears throat> so it's convenient, but it's made by but the the means of the production is very problematic and sad. Yeah, the cost of convenience, right? And that that even goes back to um something that Molly Weasley had said early on in in this uh in this book that we talked about, you know. Um what was it that she wanted? A house elf to help with the garden gnomes or something? Was that right? Or... Just a, a house elf would make her life so much easier. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, it's not an attitude even that's reserved for a certain class, like, um, which is interesting to think about. Like the subjugation of people. Well, it's a cultural component of the wizarding world that only people do not come from the wizarding world are able to point out right right so what's your deep dive okay so my deep dive comes on page 334 of the scholastic edition and it says mr malfoy almost knocked harry over as he swept into the room dobby went scurrying after him crouching at the hem of his cloak a look of abject terror on his face the elf was carrying a stained rag with which he was attempting to finish cleaning Mr. Malfoy's shoes. Apparently, Mr. Malfoy had set out in a great hurry, for not only his shoes were half-polished, but his usually slick hair was disheveled. Ignoring the elf bobbing apologetically around his ankles, he fixed his cold eyes upon Dumbledore. So, here we also see the invisibility of labor. So, Dobby's there, terrified, trying to kind of clean Mr. Malfoy up, and he's just like, whatever, I'm just here to glare at Dumbledore because he has the cojones to like come back to Hogwarts and I don't want him to. Right. And the the thing that really stood out to me that, you know, shouldn't have, but it just tickled me is about the the that comment about his hair being disheveled. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yes, I can see that. Uncoiffed. Right Uncoffed. So, like, do we think that Dobby also comes in his hair? I don't know. Anyway, so, uh, he is in, he does not care enough about his staff, if I'm going to be very generous. In Super generous. <laughs> like, he doesn't care enough about this, this being his slave, that he's just like, like, Dobby, you can stay home. I'll just, you know, you can finish this when I come back. No, Dobby's just right with him trying to keep up the pace and trying to, like, polish his shoe while he's still walking. Like, how do- that is just so, such a horrible treatment of, of a creature. A yeah. Being. No, again, this, this is what I'm talking about when I say just this grotesque language around um, the treatment of Dobby in this scene and, like you're saying that it's 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 just invisible. I mean, he's it's happening in a public space, but like you're talking about earlier about this culture in the wizarding world, like it's not even taboo for Lucius Malfoy. You know, like he's grown, he's probably grown up with house elves. This is just a part of his day to day. You know, especially being part of the upper class in the wizarding world. Like, you know, God forbid he shine his own shoes. But the deplorable treatment in which he's treating his you know, again, to use a very generous term, staff, it's, um, I think, indicative, too, of 
this sort of sadism that I think is an undercurrent in Malfoy's character um, that we see play out in a lot of different ways, including the way that he exerts control over his son Draco um, for personal gain, but even for pleasure at times. Like, um, but we can get into that later. That's 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 more visible as we get later into the series. Yeah, well, I just want to, you know, say, like, definitely Dobby, for me, is one of, like, the character that, you know, when you think about this chapter, and if you have no external knowledge about what happens later on, you're like, yeah, definitely, he's, like, the slave, and he's just, he's trying to subvert it within his means, but then he keeps hitting himself, and, like, that, to me, is heartbreaking. Yeah, that this, uh, this mode of slavery um conditions the indentured person to punish themselves mm-hmm. that's the ultimate policing i think um is to not have to even deliver a punishment yourself see but Aaron, like it's it's just slavery plain and simple because indentured it means like you can kind of work off your debt right but right in this case there's no debt to be paid to paid exactly off. yeah dobby can't just like work until like an imagined amount of time he's just right. there forever until, right until he's giving given an item of clothing right and we don't know how we don't really necessarily know how you know house elves became slaves in this way and and, and how this magical contract came to be um but that it seems to have been maintained um it's it's obviously existed for some time culturally because again it's just kind of like commonplace seemingly you know it's a casual comment from molly and it's um just like in commonplace treatment of you know lucius to drag his his house health out with him you know mid-business but harry kind of um harry kind of exemplifies i think too in this in this scene some of the true characteristics of the gryffindor household um and that, I mean, obviously, he got the sort of Godric Gryffindor, so, like, der. But um, coupled with the fact that he is not of this culture, he is recently new to this world, his empathy towards Dobby is a defining characteristic of who he is. Yeah, for sure. So what character do you see as representing the politics of slavery? Well, I surprising no one, I'm going to say Malfoy, Lucius Malfoy, because, totally. you know, he's just the treatment of Dobby and the way he scoffs at Harry and said, boy, you've cost me um, a servant mm-hmm. or something like that. That's yep. just disgusting. Like, is this the only thing you care about? Well, and it's it's a cyclical too thing, you know, because it's like we can be happy for Dobby, but we know that he's going to get replaced by he's going to be he, another house elf Ugh. will be procured, you know, and so Ugh. it just it's it's like it's sickening, to heartbreaking. Think about. Yeah, yeah. Well, and for me, mine is Harry, and this is an interesting one because again, <clears throat> I again like I I don't know I'm going to complicate things a little bit here, but like while. I recognize that this is written in such a way that like we're supposed to be applauding Harry um for this act. And again, I'm not I don't think that Harry has like any ulterior motives or anything like that. Like I just think he's empathetic 
towards Dobby. It particularly recognizes that he tried to help him. You know, there were some incidences that were not so helpful, but he, his heart was in the right place. But like, there is kind of this degree of like the white savior complex. Um, and that is also just by virtue of like the mechanism by which house elves are freed. Like they have to be, they cannot free themselves. Do you know what I mean? So um, it's just kind of the way that this contract is written, but it's so just like, I don't know. It doesn't feel entirely great. Yeah. You know what I mean? Kind of icky, right? Yeah. It's still just, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, like, for, okay. I mean, it's just, it's just how it's been written, you know, but like, if I were to rewrite this scene or if I were to rewrite like this particular plot device in this series, there would be some mechanism by which like Dobby was able to free himself. Like in the same way that Dobby sort of like had to have Harry piece together everything from like the diary to like the chamber to who's behind it all. I wish that like Harry had kind of like figured out a way to get Dobby. I don't know. I don't know. Again, I would have rewritten it a little differently, I think. Before we say goodbye for now, for today's episode, for which I was woefully unprepared on the summary, I am sorry again, everyone. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with me. Um, <laughs> please tell me what media you have been consuming. I have been consuming the new season of Billions that is out on Showtime. Um, I've talked about this in in previous episodes, I think in season one. Um, It's about uh, sort of this um, hedge fund guy, uh, Wall Street, um, and uh, this persecuting uh, attorney general who's trying to, you know, bring him down. And it's, it's a thriller kind of like... I don't know how to describe it necessarily. It's it's definitely not actiony or anything like that, but um it's got some psychological elements to it. Um it's good. It's fast paced. I enjoy it. Ooh, sounds fun. Yeah. What about you? I have been watching a surprise surprise series from Spain called El Ministerio del Tiempo and it's about like these this like um, so, like, a government office that is kind of secret from everyone except maybe, like, royalty that, like, is time traveling. Cool. And they have, like, different people from different, um, like, time periods in teams trying to, like, find anomalies in time and, like, make sure that history happens the way that it was intended so that it's there's not, like, because there's, like, rogue operatives trying to like change history for their benefit interesting so it's really interesting i'm really into it it has english subtitles if anyone needs them but i i am fully invested in kind of exercising my spanish side of the brain you know hell yeah you got it flex it i know i was like i was just telling my dad i was like you will love it (laughs) Because it's, like, dramatic, but also sci-fi, but also history. It's oh, yeah. a lot. I love a cross-genre piece. Yeah, so 
I don't know. I've I've been enjoying it quite a lot. I've they have a lot of seasons. I've only watched like four episodes. I mean, I I only watch these things while I'm getting ready in the morning. Yeah, you know, as like I'm absentmindedly putting on like makeup. I'm just like listening to this and taking it in. But that's that's the only time I have for pleasure for in life. Consumption. Tear. Yes. Tear. I know. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Occupolitics. That's all we have for today. We'll be back next week discussing Healthcare as Resistance in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets by J.K. Rowling. We'll be talking about Madame Pomfrey. We'll be talking about the petrification. We'll be talking about Mandrake Root. I'm so excited. Until then, politics managed. Find us online at www.acciopolitics.com. That is A-C-C-I-O-P-O-L-I-T-I-C-S.com, where you can find links to our social media and notes on each episode. Please rate and review us on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. Tell all your Potterhead friends about this podcast, unless you totally hate us. You can call and leave us a short voicemail at 915-996-1699. This episode has been produced by Adriana Wilson and Aaron Barrio. Our logo was created by House 407 at www.house407.store. Our theme music was crafted by the very talented Kayla Sluka, who is also a badass photographer. Check her out at www.treasuredroots.com. I lost my train of thought. Can you cut this? <laughs> I totally we lo- are. We are so on fire today. I like, I seriously like just like lost everything that I was about to say. And it was, it was going it was, somewhere. It was brilliant. I'm sure. Oh, clearly. Okay. Let's just back up to. Dobby. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs>